Chapter Three of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Three Cora's Diary for Paternal Perusal we have been at Calander castle for more than two months and there has not been an event worth recording or indeed any circumstance that can be honoured with the name of an event till this afternoon the life here since the beginning of august has been as luxuriously monotonous as life on tennyson's lotus island only we have not enjoyed such a climate as tempted ulysses and his companions to a perpetual repose the weather has been distinctly british his lordship spent the latter half of august and a great part of september in scotland shooting he arrived here the end of last month bringing a few friends with him for more shooting my aunt declined scotland for this autumn she wanted nothing but rest after a busy season calander is her most established home here she has her largest collection of books and music her favourite broadwood her finest garden and hothouses here in short she has all the things in which a great lady with an empty heart can take delight here too she is within a drive or even a long walk of the house in which she was born and the village where she knows every cottage and most of the inhabitants from the bent old grandfather to the year-old baby i have done a great deal of cottage visiting with her since we came here and i must confess that i find cottagers with their everlasting woes and incurable ailments utterly insupportable and i am puzzled to understand the order of intellect which can take pleasure in personal contact with them to relieve their wants is a duty and an inclination which i can understand in a person as rich as lady penrith who can never feel any poorer for her beneficence but surely there are clergymen's wives and sisterhoods and people that one could employ for all this dismal uninteresting work instead of bothering about every detail of every old woman's miserable existence as my aunt does however all this twaddle seems to interest her and i have to sit or stand by while she listens to long rigmaroles about rheumatics or sick children or drinking husbands or sons out of work or daughters that have gone wrong it is one treadmill round of human misery to be mitigated by doles of such miserable amount taken in relation to her ladyship's wealth that they really might just as well be distributed by a bailiff or homely drudge of a curate's wife why lady penrith should amuse herself by sympathizing or pretending to sympathize where it can't be real with all those squalid miseries i can no more understand 
that i can fathom the minds of those women who get up at half-past six every morning to attend matins when they might enjoy the best hour of the day the hour between waking and getting up with a cup of strong tea and a volume of guy de maupassant stories i have never let, allowed my ennui or my sentiments to escape during the frequent martyrdom of this cottage visiting far from it i shake the dirtiest paws sip the vilest tea and when all hearts with my jolly good fellow manner which has given the cottagers the idea that however sternly conservative the castle may be miss urquhart is at heart a radical sometimes i have been tempted into wondering whether all this active benevolence this sympathy with the sick and sorrowing poor may not be a self-imposed penance on the part of lady penrith the expiation of her maturer years for some sin of her girlhood yet i cannot think that this passionless nature ever deviated from the straight path her character must have always been spotless superior to every temptation and again for a woman born rich there are so few temptations satan must offer so choice a bait when he fishes for the rich man's soul what other idiosyncrasies besides this regard for the poor that i have observed in my aunt's character first her love of music which amounts to a passion secondly her love of books which astonishes me books not at all being in my way i never read a book when i can get a newspaper and i infinitely prefer truth and the world to any of the authors who are called classics nor do i see that book learning is of the slightest use to any young woman who does not want to write school books or go out as a governess the little i have seen of masculine society has shown me that men detest culture in a woman the men who go in for learning themselves hate a rival in their own field scholars don't want sympathy from women they want blind admiration and the average man a monster of ignorance about everything that is not in the newspapers shrinks from a well-informed woman as from a drawing-room pestilence to please the sterner sex a woman should know just enough of politics to be able to listen intelligently to the old fogies and middle-aged bores and enough about sport and society scandals to be able to carry out a touch-and-go conversation with a young man of average intellect she may say a smart thing now and then but she must never pretend to be a wit she must accept her position as man's inferior and honor and revere her sultan if my father favors me by reading the last remarks he will perceive that i have taken his lessons in worldly wisdom to heart and that i am studying how to please a potential husband there is one here mr coverdale lord workington's only son who would be worth pleasing but alas alas 
penniless and plain must shoot at lesser game to return to lady penrith she is a reading woman and her morning-room is lined with books all of her own collection and entirely distinct from the orthodox library of standard authors on the ground floor i amused myself a few days ago while i was waiting to go out driving with her by a careful study of these books i have been told to study the lady's character and some part of her character must reveal itself in the books she chooses i found poetry strongly represented by poets old and new byron shelley keats browning and tennyson are lavishly spread along the shelves in various editions with a richness of binding and variety of style that mark the lady's appreciation milton and shakespeare are equally honored the poets fill a large section of the bookcases near the fireplace and on this side of the room my aunt has her favorite armchair tea-table and japanese screen if anything could make me fond of reading it would be such a room as this the novelists are here also scott dickens thackeray lytton george eliot and here and there a volume by a lesser light then come biography history criticism and metaphysics my aunt seems to have taken all learning for her province as somebody says of himself one block of books especially interested me for they suggested a warm interest in a subject which i should consider very remote from lady penrith's line of thought on the shelves below the poets and within reach of her hand as she sits in her low bergere i found a collection of books on african travel and african sport from livingstone downwards i never saw so many books on one subject in any library i ever looked at i asked myself with natural wonder how and why a woman who is utterly indifferent to sport in england and scotland should be so keenly interested in sport in africa and why a woman who has travelled very little in europe should be interested in books of travel in that uncivilized quarter of the globe the only answer to the riddle which offers itself to my mind is that the lady's interest in africa is vicarious and that the man to whom she gave her heart in youth was in some manner associated with the dark continent i have found her poring over burton or cameron stanley or baker in the lazy hour between afternoon tea and the dressing bell i once ventured to ask her how she could find amusement in books which to me appeared essentially dull and dry and she looked up with her sweet smile and answered there is not a single page in these books without interest for me cora and you would like to travel in africa dearly why don't you then she gave a faint sigh before she answered hardly any one hardly any woman could run the risks and endure the hardships to which these men expose themselves and if any woman could the world would not let her do it my duties are at home 
or i you i would hold every duty subordinate to my own whim said i if i wanted to roam about african deserts and ride across african swamps and see the falls of the zambezi or the mountains of the moon nothing should prevent me i would defy opinion as lady hester stanhope did i like to tease her about her wealth and its omnipotence sometimes i think it is the sting of conscious poverty which goads me to remind her what a power she possesses and how poor a use she makes of it how deeply sad her face was while she spoke of africa yes that is the charm her lover must have been a wanderer in those wild pathways that next time i find myself alone in her morning-room i made a further examination of her african collection i looked for any volumes by less familiar names thinking that among these i might find some book written by the man she loved very few men travel much in strange lands without delivering themselves of a book sooner or later the thirst for paper and print takes possession of them they hunt up their old journals and random records of sport and eke out their own scanty men materials with plagiarism from burton or stanley i found one volume a thinnish octavo which attracted me for two reasons first it was more delicately bound than any of the other books secondly it showed signs of having been more read the title was unpretentious my african apprenticeship the name of the author was brandon mountford the year of publication eighteen seventy four just twelve years ago on the fly-leaf i found a brief inscription from b m to s h may sixth eighteen seventy six b m of course stands for the author s h for sibyl higginson it was not until the following year that sir joseph higginson's daughter became lady penrith dear little book to give me such precise information about yourself b m to s h only a lover would write thus any one upon ceremonious terms would have written from the author i looked into the pages the usual thing descriptions of scenery descriptions of storms sunsets sunrises aurora borealis wonderful effects of sky perils of being eaten by savages or wild beasts perils of having nothing to eat lion shooting fever friendly natives nothing of personal history to tell me what manner of man brandon mountford was but that vellum bound book with its delicately tooled edges and gold lettering and with leaves that open so easily with here and there a rose petal or withered violet told me one fact for certain whatever b m may have been saint or sinner sibyl higginson loved him and sibyl penrith cherishes his memory oh irony of fate that one woman should own over a million 
and sit in her lonely room brooding over a dead man's book while thousands of women in the world are striving and wrestling to get themselves decently married for the sake of food and raiment a shelter and a fireside had i a tenth part of lady penrith's money what a variety of pleasures excitements and enjoyments i would wring out of this brief existence of ours i peeped into the billiard-room after lunch to-day and saw mr coverdale knocking about the balls by himself in a low spirited way so i lingered in the room for a few minutes looking for last week's punch and presently he invited me to play a fifty with him he is a poor player and i am a poor player though i have done my possible to make up for the deficiencies of my education by playing whenever anybody condescends to ask me and by practising whenever i can get the table to myself the fifty took a longish time for besides our slow scoring the honourable and reverend john was in an expansive humour and talked a good deal about his views which are ritualistic to a degree that verges on romanism i humoured him to the utmost indeed in religious matters i am ritualistic if i am anything and we had a really interesting conversation in which i seemed to get more in sympathy with this cold pattern of propriety than i ever have been before indeed as we put our cues into the rack he made me a little reproachful speech which was to my mind a compliment you are like saint paul at least in one attribute miss urquhart he said you can be all things to all men no one who heard you talking slaying with the shooters yesterday would anticipate your delightful conversation to-day now observe o oh author of my being that your daughter's delightful conversation had chiefly consisted in holding her tongue i had let him talk and only said just so much as was necessary to lead him on to dis discant at large upon the theme he loves intelligent listening means sympathy comprehension everything to a talking man the clock struck three my aunt generally drives out at three o'clock and as a rule i go with her it is one of the my duties or privileges whichever i like to call it i rushed up to my room and put on a jacket and hat snatched a pair of gloves and flew downstairs to the hall and out to the great flight of steps which approached this stately castle the barouche was at the door and my aunt was already seated in it at the sight of my flying figure on the steps the footman descended from his perch and opened the carriage door in another minute i was seated at her ladyship's side i did not know you were coming with me cora she said and i detected a shade of annoyance in her tone offended at my unpunctuality no doubt thought i but it struck me afterwards that upon this particular afternoon she wanted to be alone i apologized for my late appearance and she affected an interest in my account of mr 
coverdale's conversation but i could see that her mind was otherwhere and she spoke at random we drove to cargill a village on the seaward side of the great dreary moor which separates Calander castle from the civilized world northward of its walls her ladyship stopped the carriage at the first house at the village i am going to some of the cottages cora she said but i shan't stay in any of them would you like to sit in the carriage till i have done there is the nineteenth century to amuse you she pointed to a half-cut magazine on the empty seat i hate those learned periodicals which presuppose a corresponding erudition on the part of the reader and the notion that lady penrith did not want my company gave a stimulus to my curiosity i jumped out of the carriage with alacrity i had much rather see your cottagers than read the nineteenth century said i we went into several cottages with the re usual results ailments rheumatic and internal sore legs swollen faces all the disagreeables of life sons out of work husbands given to drink the old old story my aunt was sympathetic took note of all necessities and promised relief in all this i could see nothing out of the beaten track but i observed that in every cottage she asked the same questions about a man she had seen upon the moor on the previous afternoon a man who looked like a shepherd very ragged and poor and as she thought not altogether right in his mind no one was able to identify the person she described though many suggestions more or less wide of the mark were offered she exhibited wonderful pertinacity in this inquiry we went from hovel to hovel till i was heartily sick of the subject what did i care for a ragged man who was or was not of weak intellect i should like to help this poor creature said my aunt and she charged every one of whom she inquired to make it his or her business to find this ragged personage in order that he might be clothed and put in the way of being restored to his right mind is there any asylum for lunatics in the neighborhood from which the man could have escaped she asked of an elderly woman who had given more signs of intelligence than the other aboriginals she had questioned none nearer than dirk and that's a good forty miles from here the search was evidently hopeless and my aunt's benevolent intentions were to bear no fruit the afternoon was cold and windy with that parching east wind which is harmful alike to complexion and temper i felt my nose was blue and i knew i was in a very acrimonious state of mind the state change from stuffy cottages to the bleak outer air was too trying to have been patiently endured by a saint yet lady penrith seemed alike unconscious of the nipping cold outside and of the frowsy warmth within not contented with this wearisome house-to-house -house inquiry she drove a long round on her way home in order to repeat her questions at every half a dozen isolated cottages 
and it was nearly dark before the towering bulk of the penrith stronghold appeared across the grey distance i never look at that medieval castle without a faint pang of envy which no amount of recently acquired wealth much as i adore money could inspire that legacy of past ages stirs the small modicum of romance in my nature i envy lady penrith in the possession of that fine old fortress and i am proud to think that i am one of the race whose forebears held it in the days when every great nobleman was a warrior chieftain and proud to think that i am descended from ancestors who fought for king and country when england was young and bold and warlike rather than from some plodding lawyer who won his peerage in the dust and din of the law courts and by subserviency to the powers that be so you see father you who are of the world worldly there is a thin thread of romance still running through the warp and weft of your daughter's character all your lessons in the craft that rules mankind have not extinguished my reverence for the past and my belief in the value of ancient lineage of value in one's own secret estimate of oneself the feeling that come what may one is better than the ruck of mankind better inherently by superiority which dates from the crusades and which no achievement of newly made wealth can cancel i can try to suppress all demonstrations of vexation during that long cold drive with its circuitous extensions but i could not restrain my curiosity you must have some special reason for being interested in this ragged man i i should think aunt by your earnestness in searching for him i said when we had turned our backs upon a wretched stone hovel half hidden in a dip of the moor you are right cora i have a reason she answered quietly and, and in a tone that forbade further questioning i hugged myself in my sealskin jacket and muff her gifts and i told myself i must wait for the time and chance to show me the nature of her reason it must be a very strong one if i have any power to read her face all the resources of my intelligence are henceforth pledged to the solution of this social mystery i have very little to think about now that the all-absorbing question of ways and means has been made easy for me and for want of interest in my own insignificant existence i am naturally thrown upon speculations about my aunt if john coverdale would only condescend to fall in love with me life would take different colours would change from dull uniform grey to the brilliant variety of the rainbow not that i am in love with that handsome pattern of propriety mark you but every girl wants a lover the conquest of man is woman's mission the only mission worth a woman's thought and not to be admired and loved is to be outside the pale i am plain let me not forget that plain but not repulsive i have good eyes and teeth and you have told me that my face lights up when i talk and 
that my complexion improves by candlelight and that i have a quality which you call xian and which is not without its charm for the opposite sex especially the duller members of that sex who are apt to be caught by smartness and gumption in a woman this much of praise have you given me oh my father in the course of our conversations across the morning coffee and rasher am i smart have i gumption i wonder i recall the stories i have heard of plain women and their conquests and it appears to me that the unbeautiful have been very often winners in the race one hears of men who forsake lovely wives to go to perdition for plain and even elderly mistresses one hears of men who line their bachelor rooms with pictures of beautiful women go who go about declaring that only perfect loveliness can charm them and who unite themselves in lifelong union with sallow complexions and snub noses i will remember all these anomalies when i am inclined to despair of my own fortunes and in the meantime i will devote my leisure to the study of my aunt's character she has been very good to me and i ought to love her dearly there are times when i tell myself that i do so love her and then perhaps a cold wave of doubt comes over me she is so handsome so calm and self-possessed she has been so favored by fortune and nature in all those respects where i have been hardly used is it human in me to love her more especially when i much doubt if she has any affection for me she is a woman whose life is ruled by fixed principles and ideas i believe she endures me and protects me just as she goes to church on bleak uncomfortable mornings because the thing as a duty and has to be done end of chapter 3